0: about a year and a half ago teaching, and that was right before uh, my family moved to Michigan. And we had actually moved to West Michigan, um, about an hour or so away from where Patty and John are going to end up going. And um, this past June, we moved back. And so um, a week after we moved back, I started working at the church uh, part-time as the preschool and kindergarten coordinator, and uh, I want to thank many of you for your help. Uh, with me for that. Over the course of the year, um, I get to help out with two special events along with the weekend services. Um, and so we had our boys event, and a few weeks ago we had our princess tea. And so thank you to those of you who uh, donated food for that and responded to uh, my little notes on the table when we had those events. So I appreciate that so much, um, and it, it meant a lot for the families who came. Um, so like I said, Patty um, isn't here anymore, and so it's kind of sad to be on this side of things. Um, It was a wonderful installation service. I hope you were able to go. Um, It just makes you really proud of our church, how they were able to do that so well. Um, But it is a little sad, but I was thinking, you know, how we honored Paddy a few weeks ago, and I think the best way to continue to honor her is just to continue to learn and to grow together. And last week she taught a really great lesson about prayer. So I thought, to honor her today, let's take some time to see how we did with that, and see if we did grow, if that did make a difference in our lives. So um, your opening question is, how was your prayer like this past week? Did you apply any of those uh, principles that Patty talked about? Uh, just to remind you, she talked about you know how we can pray continuously, um, even in the midst of our lives, our chaos, that we can stay connected to the Lord. Um, did you maybe try praying out loud? Did you pray scripture? Did you journal? Um, Or did you just spend more time in prayer? Maybe you didn't apply these specific things, but how did you do with that? Um, So let's talk about that as we get started. All right, well, let's... Alright, well, since we're talking about prayer, uh, let's go ahead and we'll take a minute just to pray for our time together, and then we'll get into our lesson. Dear Lord, we just thank you for this day, even though it's a rainy day, we thank you for the rain, and we know there's purpose in that. Um, It makes me think of how Patty loves rainy days, and um, we just think of her today, and we pray that you will uh, just be near to her. And uh, even if she's feeling a little sad about not knowing that she's not going to be a part of heartstrings anymore, or, or just the things that go on at our church, we just pray that you will comfort her and um, just just be close to her. We pray that you'll be close to us today too. That you will um, just encourage us. I pray that you'll speak through me and that your words will come out and that uh, we will we will grow in our relationships. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, well today I'm going to continue the Heroes of the Faith series, and I'm going to talk about Naomi. Now I know a few weeks ago, um, Megan talked about the book of Ruth, um, and so you kind of have, the, if you were here that day, you have the whole story of Ruth in your mind. So that allows me to just focus in on the character of Ruth. So I'm going to skip some parts, and I, I went over her lesson, listened to it again so that I wouldn't be repeating things. Um, so I'm going to point out some different things, and then as I talk about Naomi, I'm also going to share about my story, about why we moved and why we moved back, and um, just kind of some parallels to, the, to Naomi's story and lessons that God has taught me along uh, that journey. So let's go ahead and open up to the book of Ruth, and we'll remind ourselves of how her story starts out, uh, actually how Naomi's story starts out. So Ruth... Chapter 1 is where we'll begin. I'll give you a minute to find it here. Yep, Joshua judges Ruth. Alright, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, as Megan taught on this section, she helped you see the emptiness that Naomi was experiencing in her life, and um, today I'm going to talk about that, but I'm going to use a slightly different word. I'm going to use the word loss um, instead of the emptiness. And I'm, um, I see three things that Naomi lost in this season of her life. And the first, um, it may seem strange, but it's this loss of food. Um, and then as I talk about these things, I'm going to compare them to other things in our life, kind of what they might stand for, what they could represent for us. Um, so I'll tell you that in just a minute for your fill-in. But this loss of food. So right off um, in the first verse, it tells us that there was a famine. Famine. In the land. Um, They lived in Bethlehem, which uh, Bethlehem literally means house of bread, and so now there was no longer any bread for them in Bethlehem. Now I want you to put yourself in Naomi's shoes and think about what that would mean for you as a woman. You know, she lives back then where, um, in that time where, you know, women didn't work. They didn't have part-time or full-time jobs. Their job was to manage their homes, to be in their homes and to do the work there and take care of their families. And so you think about, you know, what's something that takes a lot of your time? Well, making meals. You know, you, you think about what meals you're going to make. You, you get all the ingredients, all the things you need. You make it. You clean up after it. You know three times a day you're doing this all day long. That's a big part of your role. It would have been for Naomi as a woman. and so just imagine that you know over time there's just less and less food, and so her you know her job is becoming less and less. And here she lives with you know a husband and two sons who are you know boys they're obviously hungry all the time. Um, I have a daughter and two sons and they're still young enough. They're 8, 7, and almost 6, and so they're still young enough that they're not, like, eating us out of house and home yet. They're still kind of picky, but they are just always coming to me saying, can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? And they're always hungry, and if you don't have a snack for them, you know, it's just the end of the world. And so, just think of how Naomi was feeling. They literally had no food. She couldn't go to the grocery store or go to the restaurant, and, and so her family was hungry, and She couldn't do anything about it, and so, um, you know, she didn't. There was nothing to make. What was she going to do with her time? So she was, she was kind of losing her purpose as a mom and as a wife. She didn't um, have anything to do um, as far as that anymore. Uh, So that uh, is the first villain there. That loss of food is kind of like this loss of purpose for her. She doesn't have that job anymore in her home. Now, this famine that was going on was probably a result of the nation of Israel's disobedience. Um, Back in Deuteronomy, there's places where God tells his people, um, if you obey me and you do what I command, then I will pour forth my blessings on you. The rain will come. The crops will grow. But if you're disobedient, then I'm going to hold back that rain, and and there will be famine in the land. And so this is a time, um, this is... The book of Ruth was written during the time of the judges or it took place then. And so this is a time between um, Joshua's leadership, you know, Moses and Joshua, and then we have King David over here in his leadership. And so in between there's this time when the nation was supposed to be turning to God for leadership and trusting God, but they weren't, and they were kind of floundering and turning to other gods and being distracted. And so God had to deal with them and, and discipline them. And part of that was probably this famine. Um, and so, so God is holding back His provisions from His people um, in general, probably because of their disobedience. But it was affecting, you know, people personally in their personal lives. And so, um, so Naomi and her husband they decided that they needed to find provisions, that they needed to go somewhere else because God wasn't meeting their needs, and so they left for Moab. So, um, so the other fill-in there is the loss of provision. So loss of food equals loss of purpose and loss of provision. Uh, the second thing that Naomi lost, obviously, was her husband. Now, also thinking, you know, back in that day, being married was very important. It was um, something uh, that you needed to survive. You needed that uh, security of your husband to meet your needs. You couldn't work. You couldn't, um, you know, do life on your own very well. And um, so, um, so Naomi's husband took her to Moab. They went there, and he probably found work there and was able to provide for them there. But then he died, and there went her sense of security. Um, that's the first fill-in. Her loss of, husband, of her husband would have equaled this loss of security. Uh, before, she had these pressures of, you know, how will I feed my family? And now she's just thinking, how will I survive? I don't have any way to get food now. I don't have any way to take care of my children now. Um, and so she was losing that sense of security. Um, but it was also a loss of status. That's the other fill-in. A loss of status. Uh, because back then, if you were a widow, you know you didn't have much. Um, there was no one to provide for you. Uh, you just were at a loss. She could no longer, you know, introduce herself as Olmec's wife or say, you know, the other day my husband said this or did this or talk about her husband. That that just wasn't going to be a part of her her conversations or her life anymore. That she was a widow now and she had lost that, and she was in this. Um, This land that wasn't her home. So she was in this society that was different for her. She didn't have any relatives. She was just on her own. And so she had lost those things. But at least she had her two sons, right? But not for long. Um, you know, they, we don't know exactly how old they were at this time, but they probably, you know, helped her a little bit and they grieved together and they had a bond, I'm sure. But, um, but they grew up, and they ended up marrying Moabite women, which, um, which wasn't ideal. Um, Israelites weren't supposed to intermarry with other uh, people of other countries or, or cultures because uh, the people would probably lead them astray because they didn't follow God. And so, um, so that wasn't ideal, that they married Moabite women. Um, it wasn't probably what Naomi would have wanted for her sons. But they did. Um, and so they grew up, and at least she had the hope of grandchildren, right? I mean, she could think about, well, maybe they'll have babies, and maybe one will look like a Limelech, or maybe we can name one after my husband. And so she probably had this hope of grandchildren. Um, but then her sons died, and so she didn't have that anymore. And um, the fill in there is her loss of sons was like a loss of pride and joy. Isn't that what we, we call our children sometimes? They are pride and joy. Um, you know, they do these things that just bring us such pride. We're proud of their accomplishments. Um, even if they make mistakes, you know, we, we can always find something that, that we're proud of. We're just proud they're our kids. We love them. And we talk about them to other people. And they also bring us great joy, even though they can frustrate us and, you know, make us want to pull our hair out sometimes. They just, they do things that bring us joy, too. And so here, Naomi had watched her her two boys grow up into men and get married, and now they were gone too. And so she had lost her pride and joy. And so, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, Naomi's life was very full. She had a husband. She had two sons. And sons, you know, that was a big deal to have boys because they could carry on the name for you and your family. Um, she had, um, you know, looking at things, she had purpose and provision. She had security and status. She had pride and joy. And now all those things she had lost. And so at this point, around your tables, um, I'd like you to talk about which of these losses can you relate to. Um, have you ever lost your sense of purpose or, or provisions in your life? Have you ever lost um, your sense of security? Maybe you are a widow, and um, you've experienced that, what that's like to no longer have a husband by your side. Um, maybe you've lost your status. You know, maybe you've lost a job or just a role that you really felt like defined you. Um, or maybe you've lost someone or something that's brought you pride and joy. Um, so what is that for you? So go ahead and take some time to share that. All right, well, we're going to go ahead and move on. Sorry if I'm cutting some of you off. Um, before we talk about uh, the rest the next part of naomi 's life i 'm going to take some time um, to start sharing with you uh, my story and some of the loss that I feel like i 've experienced this last year and a half um, i didn 't lose anybody or you know no one died in my family, but for me, um, I felt lost and to help you understand why it was a loss for me. I just want to kind of share my background um, a little bit. Um, I was blessed to go, grow up in a very faith-filled home. Uh, my mom and dad um, were have always been very committed Christians. Um, they've always been involved in the church and really um, just walked the talk. And um, actually, if you didn't know, my mom and dad uh, moved, were finally able to move to the Quad Cities um, this past summer. My mom uh, has been a part of Heartstrings. She's back there in the purple. So she's been a part of Heartstrings this year. So, yay! <laughs> so, uh, she has a lovely group of ladies back there who have befriended her. Um, and so we waited a long time for that. But, um, so they're finally here and have jumped right into blessing our church here. Um, so, um, growing up, you know, they, they were both, they probably won't tell you, but they're both very gifted teachers of the word, uh, for kids and for adults. And so I grew up hearing them and just, I grew up with a a lot of knowledge about the Word, because they taught it, and just, for the things we did, you know, I was just always hearing about the Bible. Um, And as I was growing up, I felt like God was kind of training me up to also, you know, as I grew up, to carry on this teaching of the Word and to be someone like that. Um, I was a pretty quiet kid, and, you know, I never would have imagined myself getting up in front of people like this, and I still sometimes feel a little sick to my stomach when I have to get out here, Um, got the nerves still. But, um, but God was planting seeds in my heart as a child, and I can even look back and, and see how he was. I can remember um, even when I was like four or five, I was sitting in Sunday school, and the teacher was teaching about um, the life of Daniel and the time when Daniel um, chose to eat the vegetables and the water instead of what the king was offering him. And I remember that after that story, they served us some raw vegetables and some water, and even as a little kid, I can remember thinking, well, that was a neat idea, how they made the snap go with the lesson. And and in my little mind, that was important to me. And I thought that was good, uh, which is funny because, like, now, you know, my job working with preschools, preschoolers, that's how I have to think, how things go together and make the lesson really nice for them. So even as a child, like, that was important to me as, um, as I was growing up. And um, another time I can remember being in a good news club, And they were teaching about the Christmas story. Probably the teacher had flannel graph or something, you know, they were teaching with. And um, I can just remember sitting there with the other kids and thinking, I have heard this story so many times. You know, why can't somebody come up with a new way to tell it? You know, I know all this. You know, I'm like, eight. you know, I've heard this so many times. But that was important to me, too. Like, I loved... I loved it when a teacher could teach something in a way I'd never heard before and challenge me because I felt like I knew the basics, I want to hear more, I want to really get into this and and, um, apply it to my life. And so um, those things were important to me. But, um, you know, as a child, if God has gifted you in teaching... You can't really use it when you're a kid. You know, no one's going to let you get up and preach the sermon on Sunday morning. Um, my sister, she was always gifted musically, you know, so she would be up and singing and acting and plays. So she got to do those things, but but because I was also kind of shy and quiet, I was just, you know, more observing and listening and just soaking it all in and thinking, well, maybe someday I'll be able to get up, um, get up and teach. And, uh, you know, I just, I love that. The stories of the heroes of the faith, like you've been learning about this year. I just learned all about them, and I thought, well, maybe someday, you know, I could be a hero of the faith. Maybe someday I could be a missionary or a pastor's wife. Um, you, know, you know, normally those are like the things people run from, and they say, you know, God, don't make me a missionary or pastor's wife. But um, but I really wanted God to call me to one of those things. I really wanted to have that purpose, uh, because I, I thought that was important. Um, And so right now I'm just going to stop and ask you this question because I have um, the next part of my story is quite a bit longer, so I want to give you more chances to talk here. But um, did you have any dreams tucked away in your heart as a little girl? Um, Can you look back and see that, yeah, God was kind of aligning my life this way? Um, You know, what inspired those dreams? And have any of them become a reality for you? Or did they get lost along the way? Um, So what for you was God just working in your heart as a, as a little girl and growing up. So talk about that for a few minutes. All right. Well, hopefully that was enough time for you. Uh, so, like I said, this part of my story is going to be a little longer. Um, I tried to cut out as much as I could, and hopefully, it won't feel long to you. But I just wanted, to, um, you know, to be to be real with you and to share uh, just about my story. So, uh, fast forward to college. Um, I went to Indiana Wesleyan, and I majored in uh, elementary education. And uh, halfway through my senior year, my my husband Brian. Now he. Um, Came to my home church up in Wisconsin, a small Wesleyan church up there, and he came there uh, to be the associate pastor. Uh, he was—he's three years older than me. He had uh, graduated from Olivet, and this was his first ministry position. So he came to the church up there to be um, in charge of the children and the youth, and um, so that definitely got my hopes up uh, because here was this single guy. Um, I had never really dated much before, um, so here he was, uh, he was funny, he was cute, you know, he had this passion for ministry, obviously, um, everyone really liked him, and I liked him, he was just really comfortable, comfortable to be around, and, you know, here he was in my little hometown, there weren't... You know, many other um, people our age, you know, who are Christians, and and so I thought, well, maybe God brought him here for me, you know, of course, so and it turns out he did, Um, and so it was perfect, Um, so we got married in August of 2002, and uh, right after we got married is when we moved to the Quad Cities, and just jumped right into um, being a part of Heritage. Now, how that happened was um, Brian's job up in Wisconsin came to an end. Um, although everyone loved him and he was really connecting well in the community and things, um, he wasn't connecting very well with the pastor there, the main pastor. Um, we talked about personalities here before, and their personalities were just totally different. You know, the pastor is more of like that choleric. Personality And Brian is more like a sanguine phlegmatic, which is what makes him really fun, but is also what makes it really hard for him to like sit in office by himself trying to accomplish things. And, and so that was very hard for him. Uh, so he just wasn't really meeting the expectations of the pastor. Um, and, um, and because the church was small and they also couldn't really afford another pastor, um, his job just came to an end. They decided that, that it needed to end. So, um, a mentor of his suggested, uh, moving out here and being a part of Heritage. Not to be on staff or anything, but just to be a part of a big church, learn from the great leaders who were here, and learn how to do ministry in a different way, and just learn and grow and have more opportunities. So, um, so it seemed like a great idea. We were up for something new, so we got married and we moved out here. Um, but I never really thought that we would live here as long as we did. Uh, I thought that, you know, in a couple years we would take what we were learning and God would send us on our way to another church and Brian would be a pastor again and, and uh, we would fulfill that calling that I, I felt um, God had on our lives. Well, um, over the years many op- different opportunities did come up for us. Um, you know, we would find out about different positions within the Wesleyan Church or just other churches that were in need of a pastor and um Brian would send in his resume and interview and we'd visit the churches sometimes, visit with the pastors. And I would always really get my hopes up, like, yes, this is it, we're on our way. Um, But then, just as I was thinking about moving, um, Brian would tell me that he just didn't have a piece about it. That he felt like God was saying no. And um, that this wasn't what we're supposed to do. Not yet. This just wasn't it yet. That God has something else for us. So to just wait. Um... But this kept happening again, and again, and again, like five, six, seven, eight times. These opportunities would come up, and I'd get really excited, and then he would say no, and then we would stay. Um, and I knew we were, you know, God was using us here, and we, we loved it here, but I just, I didn't expect that this was, this was it for us. I expected that we were going to move on someday, um, but nothing was happening. Uh, but then, it was sometime in July of 2012... Um, that there was one more spark of hope. And um, Kirk Proctor came up to us one Sunday, and he said, um, Hey, I was talking to this friend of mine who's a pastor up in Michigan, and their church is really growing and doing great things. Um, Kirk had worked with this pastor before at one point, and he said, They're looking for a children's pastor. Uh, Would you be interested in this? Uh, He kind of knew our story and knew that that was our desire someday, and so we decided to look into it. Um, so um, in the beginning of that August 2012, Brian uh, and the kids and I went up to the church it's in Allendale, Michigan. Um, it's called Lifestream Church. And uh, we really liked it. Oh, it's a beautiful area out there, you know, about 15 minutes from Lake Michigan. Um, although we went up in the summer when it was like really beautiful, you know, which I think was like a trick because when we were there it was just snow the whole time. So pray for Patty and John this winter when they get all that snow. But, um, but at the time, it was really nice, and the people were so nice, and just, um, they were fun and enjoyable to be around, and the church was at a place where they were really growing, kind of like, you could see them kind of growing into a heritage someday, they were just at that point, at about like 700, um, and so they were really growing, and it just was a neat place, everyone said it was a great place to raise a family, and I just really liked the idea of moving there. Um well over the course of the weekend I kept wondering if Brian was going to say no again because um it wasn't really an ideal situation. But as it turned out, the job was only part time. Um they could only hire a part time children's director, and so that meant that Brian would have to get another full time job to support us. But um he was used to working at a bank, that's what he had done for a long time, so he thought, well, you know, that's probably not too hard to get a job at a bank. Um and um, and we thought, well, maybe the, someday, since the church is growing, maybe it could turn into a full-time position, that he wouldn't always have to do two jobs. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, uh, the church was very open to us sharing the job. They needed someone in charge of uh, nursery through fifth grade, and so we thought, well, I could work with the younger ones, and he could work with the older ones, and that would be perfect. You know, we could use our gifts, and we could share it, and, you know, that way it wouldn't seem like such a burden, and it seemed like this was a good fit. Um, so um, after that weekend, I finally got to hear the words. I'd been waiting 10 years for Brian to say. He said, let's go. And so I was so excited. Um, we started packing our things, put our house up for sale. Um, and in less than two months, we had moved up to Michigan. Um, it was definitely harder than I saw, thought to say goodbye to our friends and family here. Um, but it was going to be an adventure, and I was really looking forward to it. So um, so we got settled up there in a rental home, and Brian did get a job at a bank fairly easily. And so we started getting to know the people and the staff and um, learning about, you know, what was going to be expected of us. And um, it was definitely an adjustment. You know, I think anytime you do something new, you have that moment where you're like, what have I done? You know, I've moved my family you know, this far away, and we're starting over, We have everything is new, and it just is very uncomfortable. Um, but most of the time, you, you know, you work through that, and you, you get through it, and you just kind of settle into your groove. Um, but unfortunately for us, we didn't really get to that point. We didn't really settle into our groove. Um, since Ryan was working full-time, um, I was the one who ended up putting most of the office hours in during the week. Um, so kind of as we went along, I felt like I was kind of carrying the load of it as far as the actual workload, um, but I was enjoying it, and I felt like that was how I was gifted, and I was good at it, um, but Brian just wasn't as into it as I thought he would be, um, he just wasn't his normal self, um, with the people there, um, he kind of was, you know, on the weekends and stuff, but he just, there was something not right, he just wasn't himself, um, and then that Christmas, we came back, um, to visit, checked on our house, it hadn't sold yet, and, um, after that weekend, Brian um, came to me and said that um, he felt like we had made the wrong decision, that it had been a mistake, um, sorry. <laughs> and that, um, that he didn't think we were supposed to be there. Um, he said that he never really had a piece about going, um, but he had said yes to it because he thought that, um, that I'd be really depressed if he said no again. Um, so he had, he had tried to make it work, you know, he wanted it to work, um, but it just wasn't working for him. Um, and so, you know, this was only two months after we had left, and so it was like this big blow. You know, like, what? How, how can you say this to me? We just got here, you know. Um, so I thought, well, maybe, maybe this is just those natural feelings of, of change. You know, we had lived here for ten years. We had never gone through a change like this as a married couple Um and so I thought, you know, let's just give it time. Just you know, just don't worry, we'll work through it. Um and so, you know, for me God really encouraged me and helped me work through it. You know, people said, Oh, we're so glad you're here And, and it just seemed like, Yeah, this is right. We just have to work through these feelings. Um But as time went on, you know, Brian was just kind of checking out. He just didn't he just didn't want to be there. He felt like this was home and he wanted to be home. Um so um, this brought a lot of tension um, in our marriage, and um, uh, we ended up, you know, going to marriage counseling even, and um, just dealing with a lot of things that um, we hadn't dealt with before. And so it was very hard, uh, you know. Here I was in this foreign land among people I didn't really know, I and mean, they were very kind. But you know, how do you share these these things that you're feeling with people that you don't really know? And so, uh, so it was really hard, but, uh, but, um, but God was there, you know, with us. And then, uh, in March, um, Brian made the final decision, uh, that we needed to go home. So, um, he took the house off the market and, um, you know, he, he had said to give him credit, you know. I as I talked about it, I don't want to put him down or anything. But, um, you know, he said he was willing to stay, you know, if I really wanted to, that he would make it work, you know, and I could maybe keep working at the church and he would just keep working at the bank. Um, but but that's not what I wanted, and I knew his heart wasn't in it. Um, so I said, you know, I, just, I don't want to do this if you're not in it. I wanted to do it together. Um, and so he told the senior pastor... Um, he, you know and then the senior pastor told the staff and the volunteers and it, it had to be done in a certain way um so we had to kind of wait to go through this process um but i just felt so stupid i just I felt like a failure you know here we had made these big plans and uh, and we were going to this church, you know, and I've, I just felt like we were letting that down. And I felt like um, we just, you know, this wasn't the plan. And so um, I just felt really down about it. Um, people were surprised because, you know, we were, it was, seemed to be going well. We were connecting well, and we were doing a good job. But, um, but they were very kind to us. And, um, but it was awkward, and I didn't, I didn't like how I had to feel through that. Um, now through the whole process, Brian and I, um, we did come to the conclusion that, um, that even though he had felt that he was called to be a pastor, that, um, that this just um, cycle and this thing we're going through just needed to stop. Um, so um, we decided that he would just stop pursuing this. You know, he had been taking classes every so often through the Wesleyan Church to, you know, have, you know, thinking of ordination somewhere down the road. But um, so he decided that we were just going to stop that. He wasn't going to pursue um, being a pastor anymore. Um, And in a way, that was kind of a relief that I knew I wouldn't have to go through those ups and downs anymore and we could just live life. Um, But in a way, it was also like this death of this dream I had. Um, So like Naomi, um, I felt like I had lost things. And um, I was also, you know, fighting against bitterness. Um, And so I just, I was going through this hard time. And, uh, so, you know, here we are, are you know, in less than a year, we're going to have to pack up and move all over again. Um, we ended up just moving back to our same house because it hadn't sold. So, um, we moved back and, um, but it was hard. You know, I hated having to explain it to the kids. You know, just, you know, that's a whole other part of the story is just how we had to do it with them and they were affected by it. Um, but, um, it was hard. So, um there's more I'm going to share as we go along, but since I was talking for a while, I just want to stop um, because we're going to get into Naomi moving back home. And so, um, just for you to share around your tables real quick, um, how many times have you moved in your life? Um, When you moved, was it your choice or was it someone else's choice? Um, Were you excited about moving? Uh, Was it hard? So talk about that for a little bit, and then we'll um, get back into Naomi's story. All right. Well, we better uh, speed these things up here a little bit, and we'll get back into uh, the scriptures again. If you could turn um, turn back in your Bibles, you probably still have them open to Ruth. Um, let's read about um, Naomi heading home here, um, in verses six through eighteen. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you and to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to, to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. As they wept again or at this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister in law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, uh, she stopped urging her. So um, so now Naomi is heading back home, and for her it's been, you know, at least 10 years since she's been home, and, you know, she didn't have a phone or Facebook or even the postal service to stay connected with her friends and family, I and mean, she had no idea what the famine had done, uh, she had no idea how life had gone on for her friends and family, and vice versa, they didn't know what life had been like for her, so um So here she is heading back home, and at some point she turns to the girls and she says, you just go back. You know, go live your lives in Moab where you're from. You know, you've been kind to me, but, um, you know, may God be kind to you. And and she was insisting that they just go back. But why? Why was she so insistent about that? I mean, why did she want to be alone? Didn't she want some company? And wouldn't that have been a good thing? Um, Well, it could have been that maybe she was a little embarrassed to be returning to Israel with two Moabite daughters-in-law in in place of her husband and two sons. Um, That could have been it. But um, I think there was maybe something else on Naomi's mind that uh, maybe we can relate to as well. I think um, maybe what she was thinking is that Uh, She doesn't think she's worthy of their kindness. That's the fill in there. She doesn't think she's um, worthy of their kindness. Or another way to say it is maybe that she doesn't have anything to offer them. So she doesn't have anything to offer them. You know, verse 11, she says, why would you come with me? Um, You know, she's saying, you you have a mother. I'm your mother-in-law. Who loves their mother-in-law more than their own mother? You know, not very many people um, you know, and she knows she was the mother of the two sons that became their husbands. Um, but she's too old to have any more sons now. And, um, you know, they wouldn't wait around for more sons to grow up. And she said... And so she has has nothing more to give them. Plus, um, she's just old and bitter. And she's just not good company. So why would they even want to be around her? And she was feeling, just just go away from me. I'm not even worthy of having you with me. And so I think many of us, you know, whether we're old or young, um, I think we've had times in our lives where we feel that. Like we're kind of worthless. We have nothing to offer anyone. Um and it's it's a lie of the enemy of course, um, but but that's how we feel. Um and I would say that's how I was kind of feeling as we were making this decision um to move back. Um, you know, we didn't know what we were gonna do when we moved back. We had our house at least that was the same, but Brian would have to find a new job all over again. Um At that time, I didn't know that I would be able to work on staff when we came back. Um, I didn't know if I was going to get to teach at Heartstrings anymore, (laughs) and that made me really sad. Um, So I was feeling this sense of worthlessness, like, what am I going to do now? Um, What do I have to offer anyone? You know, I don't have this job anymore. Um, So in your loss, um, or just in your life in general, have you ever struggled with that, of just feeling like, I don't have anything to offer anyone, I just, I don't have anything, I'm feeling worthless, you know, and of course it's the enemy getting us down, so how does he get you down about that, um, and how does God lift you up from that, um, and point you to his truth? So just take a few minutes, and we won't have a lot of time, because we need to move on, but um, share if you've ever struggled with that, like Naomi, of the sense of worthlessness. So I think we would all agree, you know, that, that if we have experienced these feelings, that, that it's from the enemy. He lies to us and makes us think that you know what we do is is what defines us. That that's where we find our worth, and that um, if we don't have those certain things, that we're not worthy of love. And so that's how Naomi feels. Um, You know, she feels like Ruth and Orpah shouldn't love this love her this much. She feels like God's hand has gone out against her, um, and she's just feeling uh, down about that. And so I think in order to battle these feelings that we have, we just, we have to remind ourselves of God's truth. And so, I just have five truths um, that I want to go over with us today to encourage us, to bring us up. Um, I don't want to make us feel down the whole morning here, but, um, sorry. Um, but, um, But these are just five truths. They're nothing new. They're just things that we have to remind ourselves of. And truth number one is just simply that God loves us. God loves us so much. Um. This past weekend, Pastor Sean prayed a prayer of blessing over all of us as the church body. And it came from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 15 through, or 14 through 19. Uh, So if you could turn there, I would like to read that for us. Um, I would actually recommend the entire book of Ephesians. Uh, If you ever are struggling with your self worth, uh, there's just so much in that book that. Just really um, helps you understand your identity in Christ and just how much He loves you, how He chose you, He wants you, He has good things planned for you. And so it's just a really uplifting book of the Bible. Uh, so turn to chapter 3 of Ephesians. I'll start at um, verse 16. I'll start. that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And so, um, you know, for Naomi, she thought that her fullness had come from having her husband and her sons and having purpose in her life. Um, If you turn back to Ruth, she says, let's see, verse One chapter 20, you know, she returns and she says, you know, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Um, Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so she's saying, you know, her life was full, but now it's not. It's empty now. Um. But she forgot that fullness is found in God. Let's fill in there. Fullness is found in God himself. Um, Jesus reminded, um, or spoke of fullness in John 10.10. He said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And uh, when Jesus spoke those words, it was in the context of him talking about being our shepherd and being our good shepherd and how He knows us by name and how He loves us and He protects us. And we are His sheep. Um, Just like in Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. And so we have to hold on to this truth that even in our loss, even as we struggle, that God loves us. His love never changes. We know that first, you know, nothing can separate us from His love. And so just, we have to hold on to that um, as we go through rough times. Um, the second truth is just that there are people in our lives who love us. There are people who love us. Uh, Ruth and Orpah, they love Naomi. But she just wasn't receiving that love. You know, Ruth was passionate. She has this whole speech, you know, that she gives Naomi about how she's going to love her and be dedicated to her. And there were people back in Bethlehem who loved her. They recognized her when they came back. They hadn't forgotten about her. They, they knew her, and they loved her. Um, the first few weeks after we moved back, you know, we'd be at church, and people would be like, oh, you moved back, and, you know, they'd be surprised, or they'd say hi, and, oh, good to see you, glad you're back, you know, and, and at first, it was just like, yeah, we're back, you know, it <laughs> wasn't the plan, but here we are, and, um, and so it was hard to know how to respond to those things, um, but just the more people would say that, the more um, God would use them to just say, you know, see, people, people love you, you are loved, um, and so that's the same thing for Naomi. Um, she was loved by the people back in Bethlehem, um, and she just needed to receive that. She had a lot of fullness in her life, but she needed to receive that love. Um, and so, for you, you know, how has God shown you that you are loved? That He loves you. That people love you. Um, is there maybe a person that He's used in your life to to encourage you and, and to tell you, "I love you"? You know, don't don't give up. And, um, you know, how do you respond to that? Do you receive it? Or is it hard? you put a wall up? And is it hard for you? Um, so talk about that, how God shows you His love for you. All right, well, to get the rest in, I need to go on here. Um, so three more truths real quick. Um, truth number three is God has a plan for us. God has a plan for us. Uh, I love the first verse in chapter 2 of Ruth, um, how it says, Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech, a man of standing whose name was Boaz. And I just love how it turns right there. Like, even though she's going through this loss, she's feeling bitter, you know, now there is hope. God is working. His plans um, are still working for her good. You know, he has reserved someone back in Bethlehem who can save them. Um, Megan talked about, you know, the kinsman redeemer, that God had, had set aside someone like that. It's this man of good standing, a man who was kind and generous and godly. And God had reserved him for uh, Naomi and Ruth to save them. And so we know that Ruth ends up marrying Boaz. Um, they have a child, uh, a son, and not a daughter. You know, that's not a coincidence. And that, of course, he is in the very line of King David, in the line of Jesus. And so God had a plan. But, um, you know, a lot of times we can't see it when when we're in those deep places. We don't know that God has a plan, but he does. And we have to trust that. Um, Truth number four is that God can use us. God can still use us. Um, We talked about how Naomi felt like, you know, she had nothing to offer her daughters-in-law. Um but in fact she did. She was a pretty sharp lady. Um she knew what was going on. As they move back to Bethlehem and things unfold, uh you know, Ruth goes out gleaning in the fields and um she comes back and reports to, to Naomi about this man who was so kind to her and um, in chapter two, verse twenty, um she says um she says that it was Boaz, and Naomi says, The Lord bless him, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And so, you know, Naomi knew her culture. She knew her family. She knew how things went back then. And so she knew that this was hope. Um, Ruth would not have known that on her own. Um, And so Naomi, you know, puts this plan together. She's like this little matchmaker. And um, down in chapter 3, you know, she gives Ruth some instructions. Okay, here's what you have to do. Um, Wash and perfume yourself. Put on your best clothes. Go down to the threshing floor. um, But don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what to do. And so Naomi does have something to offer. She knows what's going on, and she just kind of jumps into action here. And she is the older, wiser woman who can um, give instruction to Ruth. And so, um, you know, I, I bet God was just smiling at that point, thinking... You know, this is this is good. This is what I want for Naomi. I want her to feel joy. I want her to be a part of this plan just as much as Ruth and Boaz. And so, um, and God wants that for us too. He can use us. Um, however, um, he wants to. He wants to use us in His plan, and we have to uh, believe that too. That that's true. And then, um, truth number five is that God wants more for us. For God has more for us. One of Sean's famous sayings that we're learning so far is "the best is yet to come," and um, he he says that a lot, and it's true. And that's how it was for Naomi—that you know she had the sadness, but the best was yet to come. I mean. She would never have imagined that she would be, or her, you know, grandson would be in the line of of King David, the line of Jesus. Like, what a plan. What an amazing thing that God had in store for her. And so, uh, let's read that real quick here at the end, because that is just the the best part of this, um, is at the end. uh, Ruth chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and just what, what God has done for her. It says, So Ruth took Boaz, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman-redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so there is this hope at the end, this, this great ending on um, this child was a gift for Naomi just as, it, as much as it was a gift for Ruth and Boaz. Um, it was a symbol of God's love for her, that, that God did love her, that God did put people in her life who loved her that god did have a plan for her that god wanted to use her and that god had more for her and these things were all true in her life um but she just had to come to a place where she recognized those things and believed those things and so um you know where she once was empty and lost a feeling lost um, god was restoring her and bringing her to new life and you know what better symbol of new life than a baby? And that's literally new life. And it was placed right in um, Naomi's lap. Um, I have a picture I want to show you of a, a new baby, um, the most recent baby in our family. My mom, if you click on it. Um, this is the um, baby and her grandma. And um, the grandma is my mom's sister. And the, uh, the baby's mother is my dear cousin Rachel. Um, she's kind of more like a younger sister to me. We've always been really close. Um, she, just, she loves the Lord. She um, just lies beyond her years and um, just has real purity about her. I just um, love my cousin Rachel so much. And this is her first child. Um, she was born uh, this past December. And her name is Naomi. <laughs> and I never thought about it before, but it's like what a symbol of hope, you know. And even for me, um, in this year that you know, this past year that I've been struggling with things, I'm like. God is always working. God is always bringing us new life, and um, and so you know, as I look at her as she grows up, I think she's just going to be the symbol for me of just a fullness of new life and that God is working. And um, so, so, I just wanted to share that with you how God does these things in our lives. You know, and God is—I feel like God is—you know—restoring me. He He blessed me so much by arranging things and working things out for me uh, to work here at the church and. Um, I'm just blessed to work with just some lovely ladies and the children's team. Um, and we just, God has just really knit our hearts together. And it's just a good place for me to be able to be and grow. And, um, and so I just, I love it. And God is really uh, encouraging me and, and um, moving me forward. And so um, I know it's at the end of our time here. I wanted to be able to get you to share with each other about how God is working in your life. But um, why don't I just pray and then if you have time, to stick around and just talk to each other about, you know, good things that you see is, are happening in your life—that would be great. Um, but I don't, I don't want to keep you. So let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I just thank you for uh, your love for us. I thank you that you have put people in our lives who love us. I thank you that you have a plan for us, that you want to use us, and uh, that you do have more for us. And so I just pray that you will continue to bring us all um, just this new life, um, life in you, um, that we won't seek it in other ways, but that we'll keep returning to you to be filled, and that you will be faithful to us to do that, and that we will give you the glory and uh, just praise you um, for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you.